But it was a wonderful week of vacation Bible school, and it was agency D, uh, D3. And uh, when you do that with that D3, I'm, I'm looking at a new way of showing the number three, as I've learned it this week. It used to be this way or this way, and now it's this way, number three. So we thank you all for being here for this week of Bible school. Hope parents are finding children. Uh, we don't want any lost children left here. So hopefully you're getting your children. Thank you all once again and for all our leaders who are such a part of this. Well, this week of Vacation Bible School, we anticipated, we prayed for you. Join us in that prayer. And we also uh, coupled it within this um, sermon series that we've been in for the month of June. titled, Who is This Man? Looking at Jesus and seeking to do the same thing that we did in Vacation Bible School with those three Ds. Discover who Jesus is, then decide to accept Him, and then learn to defend our faith. And all that wrapped around the question then, who is this man? And in Vacation Bible School this week, uh, here's something, here's some of the themes that they studied that would help lead them, uh, our children and our students, uh, to understand and discover who Jesus is. Questions like this, is Jesus really God's son? Uh, Was Jesus more than just a good man? Was the death of Jesus real? Uh, Is Jesus alive? And then what do I do with the evidence about Jesus? Now we're going to incorporate some of that into this message today. And that last song they sang that He is King uh, talks about the fact of of what we're studying and looking at today and the fact that Jesus is the coming King. Now in our weeks prior to this we've seen Jesus described as being the Son of Man. And we saw that that talked about His humanity. And in that humanity we find how He relates to us and identifies with us. And we find in Jesus Christ uh, acceptance and forgiveness and wholeness. Then the following week we looked at the fact that Jesus is the friend of sinners. And we know His mission statement was that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus then spent time with sinners. Uh, specifically as we looked at the text with tax collectors and other sinners. And we found that Jesus in that process called people to Him. And He called the unlikely. He called uh, the undesirable. He called the spiritually unhealthy. And then last week we looked at the fact that Jesus is the anointed one. And we talked about as He came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom that He is the Messiah. He is the one who was long predicted who would come and, and bring the good news of salvation from God as the Messiah. And today we look at Him as the coming King. I found something interesting in doing my research doing this uh, sermon series, and that is that um, there are at least about 256 names by which Jesus is known through the Bible. That's incredible, isn't it? And you first think, well, you know, we talk about Jesus, and there's just something about that name, and that's the only name we need to know is Jesus. And that's true. But then at the same time, Jesus is so wonderful and so multifaceted in His life and how He relates to us and how He reveals Himself that then there's just really not one name, not just one name that really could, could clearly define Him. But today we look at Him as being the coming King. Now I want to ask you a question. Now you know, you've all, I've already tipped my hand a little bit here with the sermon title of the coming King. But suppose you were on the, uh, the show uh, Family Feud. And you know you got contestants from one family on one side, on the other side, and they asked the question. A hundred people were surveyed. And in this one I would ask you, if you were on the Family Feud show, and they said a hundred people were surveyed, and this is the question that was asked. If, if you were to have somebody describe as the king, uh, to whom would they be referring? Now what would you think your answer would be? Now this actually happened on a 2012 episode. 
And they always say then what? Survey says, and the little bell rings, and they flip the answer down. Number one answer. You want to take any guess? Elvis Presley. Number one. 81 people out of 100 said Elvis. Number two, seven people. You want to guess? Nope, it was Jesus. He came in second place. Number three, Martin Luther King. Number four, getting lunchtime. Did I give you a hint? Burger King. Yeah. I was surprised that it wasn't uh, uh, LeBron James. They've been calling him King James. I didn't, I'm surprised that he wasn't on there. But isn't that something? First one, and you said it too. Number one, Elvis Presley, the king, and Jesus, only seven people, but he did come in in second place. Now, let's think about this week. We've just celebrated a wonderful week of Bible school, and now we come into this week where we're going to celebrate our freedom, our independence, as we celebrate the 4th of July on Friday of this week. Some places, there are parades and fireworks. Uh, I've already looked at some of the schedules for some of the fireworks. I love the fireworks display. We're also looking at the Scripture today to see about Jesus as the coming king that we'll get to in a little bit about the fact that when Jesus made his entry into the city of Jerusalem, that there was a parade, and he led that parade. And it was the time of the Passover. And the population of the city of Jerusalem had swelled from about 30,000 to about 200,000. And they were there because of that wonderful celebration of Passover. And this was the time that Jesus came in and made that entry into the city of Jerusalem. We've got a film clip from uh, the movie Son of God. We've seen that version of that uh, entry into uh, Jerusalem there from the movie Son of God, but let's read it out of Luke's Gospel. Look with me at chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a coat tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owners asked them, why are you untying the coat? They replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the coat, and put Jesus on it. As it went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully 
to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, there's so many things that we could focus on in that, in that setting, in that passage of Scripture, and compare it with the other gospel accounts of Jesus' entry. But as we think today about the coming King, I just want us to think about two aspects uh, that can be seen here compared to his entry into the city of Jerusalem and really his entry into the world, how he came. And then think about how he is going to come and the differences between those two. So the first thing to think about is this. Uh, Jesus first entered Jerusalem as a humble king. Uh, History tells us that in that day and age, when a conquering general would return or king would return after leading a victorious campaign, that he would come in in some kind of majestic display, uh, either riding behind a great line of soldiers and riding on a beautiful white horse, uh, a horse of his choosing. But if a king was coming in peace rather than coming uh, in such a profound way, that king would come in riding on a colt. Jesus came in riding on the colt. He made a very humble entrance the first time that he came and made that entrance into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus came to bring peace. He did so on the symbol of that donkey. And as the people we saw in the, in the clip from the movie did, they were waving palm branches, and that's why we call that Sunday Palm Sunday. And they were putting their cloaks on the road, kind of giving him a, a red carpet welcome. And what Jesus was doing was literally fulfilling Scripture from over 500 years ago from the prophet Zechariah, who said, Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. You see, Jesus came into that wonderful city on that special day in humility. He came to bring peace. He rode on the donkey. He didn't come in an elaborate display of His power and strength and majesty. His entry into Jerusalem uh, was in humility, and it mirrored how He came into the world. He was born as a baby to a poor carpenter named Joseph and his wife Mary. He also was a king when He was born, but only a few people acknowledged it. In Matthew's account in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Matthew, he tells us of the arrival of the wise men, the Magi, and they came and asked that question, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You see, they didn't expect to find a baby as the king and a peasant child at that. They expected to find a king. Everyone looked for the Messiah to come. As a warring king, a military hero who would come and set them free. Because when Jesus came and walked upon the earth, uh, the, the, the children of Israel were under 
the influence and the dominance of the, of the Roman government. And they thought for sure that their Messiah would come as a warring king. And he would, he would rescue them. He would be a revolutionary. He would, he would deliver them from the bondage and the oppression of the Roman government. But Jesus didn't come as a revolutionary. He came as a redeemer. You see, one who leads a revolution is willing to kill other people for his cause. But a redeemer comes willing to die for those in their sin. Jesus came humbly as the redeemer and not as a revolutionary. See, his humility and his redeeming power was somehow cloaked in his humanity. But yet he came as that king. And that was also promised, the role that he would take. Remember when the angel spoke to Joseph to assure him to take Mary as your wife? And to name him Jesus? Because she said, the angel said she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus did not come as a warrior king in triumph. He came as a redeeming savior in humility. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, the people welcomed him with great and eager anticipation for surely this was their Messiah who would set them free, lead the rebellion against Rome, and set them free. And so they shouted, crown him, crown him. And those same people at the end of that week would cry out, crucify him, because he didn't meet up to their expectations. I think there's a lesson that we all need to learn, a great truth for us to underscore, and it's simply this, that Jesus will rule as king where he is received as king. You see, the only way that Jesus will rule as king in your life is if you accept him as king and allow him to sit on the throne of your life. And to do that, you have to take yourself off of the throne. And you have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. And you have to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. Jesus will rule as king where he has received as king. So first of all, we see that Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, in all humility, riding on that little donkey. Then the second thing we do is that we look into the future. And as he is the coming king, he will come again. And his entry into Jerusalem this time will be in stark contrast to the first time that he came. Because Jesus will enter Jerusalem as a conquering king. You see, when Jesus came the first time in humility and riding on that coat, he only fulfilled a portion of Zechariah's prophecy. But there's a second part of that to be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that time he will come as a warring king. I believe, I believe that Uh, the way the Bible teaches about the second coming of Christ, that these are some of the events that will take place. First of all, I think Jesus returns uh, in the clouds and and he raptures the church and takes out the, the, the church. Those who are alive at that time will be called up and then the dead in Christ will rise first and we will forever be with the Lord. And then we will be with him in heaven during that time and there will be a seven year period of tribulation on the face of the earth with all kind of tribulation like never has been seen before. And then, after a period of time, after that tribulation has ended, then Jesus will return as the conquering king. Revelation 16, 16 says this, 
Then they gathered the kings together to the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. And that's significant because when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and He entered into the city of Jerusalem, He didn't do battle with the Roman soldiers. He didn't do battle with the kingdom of Rome. He just came as a Redeemer, as a Savior to show the kingdom of God. But when He returns, He will be a conquering king. And He will lead the forces and He will win that battle at Armageddon. And then there will begin that thousand-year reign of peace called the millennium. Satan will be bound. At the end of that thousand years will be released one more time and ultimately defeated by Jesus. Here's what Zechariah says about that, the second portion of that that we find in 14, Zechariah 14. Zechariah said, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord and His name the only name. And at that time then every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And after that final defeat of Satan... Then Jesus will usher in that new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem. And eternity is going to be wonderful and glorious. And He brings that with Him at His second coming. When He comes as the conquering King, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, we could leave the story right there and say, here it is. But before we leave today, we need to go back to what our children experienced and what they were led through this week. And what we've really talked about too, I've woven it into every message this month, asking the question, who is this man? Because you ultimately have to answer that. And our children were led in a great way by a great faculty this week uh, to ask those penetrating questions. Is Jesus more than just a good man? Is he still alive? Did he really die for me? And they discovered the truth about that. And the second thing is when you discover that, then you need to make a decision. You've got to decide. That's discover, decide, and then you've got to learn to defend your faith. That's the way we get the agency D3. See, so you might have discovered something today. But you've got to come to that point about making some decisions. And here are, some, here are three things, th- three thoughts, three lessons, however you want to entitle them. I think every one of us need to pay attention to today when we think about Jesus as the coming King. Number one is this. Rejection of Jesus leads to a terrible judgment. Jesus was rejected a week after His triumphant entry. Some, uh, actually, it should be called the tearful entry into Jerusalem because He wasn't what they thought He was going to be. Unmet expectations again. And those who cried out, crown Him, were crying out, crucify Him. And those who said, hail Him, were saying, nail Him. And there was an ultimate destruction to what Jesus talked about that would come about 40 years later or so. And here's a lesson for us in this. That there will be a terrible judgment on your life if you go through your life and your life ends without ever acknowledging Christ in your life as Savior and Lord, as the Messiah, as the King. He is your only hope for salvation. He is your only means for salvation. He is the only one who died for your sins. See, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, that when you die, you will spend eternity separated from God forever in a horrible place called hell. 
and you don't want to go there. God doesn't want you to go there. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins. So rejection of Jesus leads to a terrible judgment. Here's the second thing you need to remember. You will never know real peace until you commit your life to Jesus. See, I would imagine that there are many of us in here today that have some sense of turmoil going on in our life. It could be some issues at work. It could be some issues at home. Uh, it could be issues about um, family members and elderly parents or, or teenagers and going through those years when hormones are, are running wild. And you just have a sense of turmoil going on in your life. And you, you long for a sense of peace. Some of you have turmoil in your life because your eyes are still blinded to the truth of Christ. And, and you're held in, in spiritual captivity. And you long for peace and wholeness and meaning in life. But you're not sure where to find it. You don't know how to find that. And you need that peace in your life. Let me tell you that Jesus is your only hope for that peace. That doesn't mean that everything around you is pristine. It doesn't mean that everything around you is free of any kind of conflict. But it means as you go through the ups and downs and the trials of life, Jesus fills you with peace that only He can give to you. In John 14, 27, He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. So you've got to come to the place in your life if you want that peace that He offers, where you allow Him to be the King and let Him rule in your life. You won't necessarily live without the absence of some anxiety and some moments of conflict. But when they come, you've got that peace that Jesus gives you that you can always claim and wrap your hands around. And more importantly, place your life upon you. Then here's the third thing that I think we all need to remember. And it also talks about what our children challenged us with in the song. And that's the defending part, where we got to learn to defend our faith and speak out, they told us. And I, I phrase it this way, that what breaks the heart of Jesus must break our hearts. What breaks the heart of Jesus must break our hearts. There were two things that broke Jesus' heart in that scene that we see and that week that followed. He, he wept with a broken heart because of a superficial belief. They were looking for a conquering king, a warrior king like David to come and, and to set them free. And they were disappointed when he wasn't. They didn't, they didn't want a redeemer. They wanted a revolutionary. They wanted a fighting king. They wanted somebody who would set them free from the oppression of the Romans. And so they shouted out at the end of the week, crucify him. And Jesus wept because of spiritual blindness. They simply did not recognize Him as the Messiah. And He said, if you had only known what would bring you peace. There's that reference to peace that's so important. But now it is hidden from your eyes. He said, there wouldn't be peace there until Jesus comes back again. You look over at, the, at, at Israel and the, and the land of Palestine over there now. There's been conflict upon conflict upon conflict, you know. Some of you have asked about the trip next year, going to the Holy Lands. They say, well, you know, is it safe to go? And I say, well, you know, they tell us there that uh, tourism is the number one industry in Israel, and we're going to keep you safe. You know, and that's not a promise that they can guarantee. 
Some idiot with a, a death wish can strap a bomb to him and go running through the middle of a crowd in Jerusalem, and there, there's no control over that. We can't guarantee that, but there's always been that spiritual blindness that has kept people from finding the peace that God offers and, and the rejection of Jesus. More than being concerned about safety in Jerusalem, let me ask you this. When's the last time you've looked at your community, your neighborhood, your street, and wept over the spiritual condition of the people you know? Or maybe you don't even know the people. See, I think a lot of us as believers have a tendency to look at what's taking place in our culture today and say, I just don't understand all these things that are going on. And we kind of isolate ourselves from people that don't look like us and don't talk like us and don't act like us. You know what Jesus did? Jesus came into a world where people didn't look like him, didn't act like him, didn't talk like him. He was God in the flesh and he came into the real world and he showed us how we should live. He told us about the kingdom of God. He gave up his life to give us salvation. So we need to let our hearts be broken for the things that break the heart of God. And when we look there at the scripture and it says that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. The word there that really is used in the original language suggests a kind of soul-wracking, gut-wrenching sobbing that you do at the death of a loved one or a close friend. Same word to describe Mary sobs at the tomb of her brother Lazarus and of Mary Magdalene sobs at the tomb of Jesus. You see, when we see Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem, He did so because of the superficial faith that they had and the spiritual blindness that kept them from seeing the truth. And He sobbed. I mean, His body, his body was in, in fully engaged in the weeping that he poured out for the city of Jerusalem. And we as his followers, we as his disciples today, should be burdened by the same things that burdened Jesus. I hope our children who sang these songs today and this week will never lose that excitement and that enthusiasm about telling everybody about Jesus. We will sing, we will shout, and we will tell that. I think a lot of us came into the kingdom with a lot of excitement and enthusiasm. And somehow over the years, that's kind of diminished. You know, the things of life, the normal courses of life, sometimes the distractions of life, sometimes the disappointments of life. And even though we know that we're safe and we're saved and we're part of the kingdom, we don't have that burning desire to share with anybody the best news that could ever be shared. We just kind of see people and know that they're lost and that their life is not what God wants them to live, that they're lost and maybe they don't even know how to search for what they need. And we do nothing in response to it. Our children kind of set an example for us this week and how joyously and wonderfully and, and, and thankfully they gave their offering. And then they did it also with those wonderful smiles on their faces they sang about telling about the coming King. We need to do the same thing. And I want you to see what happens when we look at the end of this story from Palm Sunday as it appears in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 10 through 11. For Matthew says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. It's interesting that the word Matthew used there for the word stirred is the word from which we get our word seismic. 
And it's the same word Matthew used later in his gospel when he said that at the moment Jesus died on the cross, the earth shook and the rocks split. You see, that city was stirred, and it would later be shaken by an earthquake. And I believe with all my heart that if all of us at Spring Valley Baptist, those of you who are visiting from other churches, if all of us had our hearts broken over the things that break the heart of Jesus, and we wept over those who were lost, and we wept over the spiritual condition of people that are in our community, people who are in our normal flow of life, then this city, this community, this neighborhood in Northeast Columbia would be stirred by the power of God. Don't you? Or have you lost so much of that excitement that you can't even be stirred by that? I hope not. I hope not. So here we are. We spent the month of June preparing for Bible school, and we're celebrating today what God has done this week, a marvelous week. Have you discovered who Jesus is? You know Him as the Son of God. 200 and some different names for Him, but He's still the Son of God. He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He is your Redeemer. He died for your sins. Have you made that discovery? Have you decided that you're going to follow Him? Are you going to let Him be in your life? You're going to give Him your life, and you're going to let Him be King. He's going to sit on the throne of your life. Have you made that decision to accept Him and embrace Him as Christ? as Savior, as Lord, as the forgiver of your sins, and the leader of your life. And then what will you do to defend your faith? Are you ready to go out into this probably post-Christian culture and look with spiritual eyes and see what God wants us to see and let our hearts be broken for what breaks the heart of God? I want you to bow with me as we pray. Particularly, if you have not yet made that decision to embrace Christ as Savior. Maybe you discovered who He is, but you haven't yet quite come to that point of accepting Him. Or maybe you think you did this week. Here's a way you can reaffirm that. If you're willing to pray this prayer after me, just pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank You for what you suffered for me. I surrender to you. I ask you to forgive my sin. I accept your death on the cross as the sacrifice for my sins. I ask you, Lord, to come into my life Take your place on the throne of my life. Rule over my life. I pray this prayer in faith, in your name. Amen. Father, I pray for all of us as we come to this time of decision, an opportunity to share decisions, that for those who made decisions this week will come today and weeks to come in the future and make their decision public to embrace Christ and let that decision be made known public. For those who may have prayed that prayer right now, made that discovery of Christ as Savior, I pray that they too will be willing to step out and publicly declare that faith and be willing to stand for Christ and be baptized in His name. And I pray that we as a church will weep over the things that you would weep over, over the brokenness of this culture, 
and that we would be about your business to, to, to share the good news of, of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our coming King. And I pray that in his name. And Father, for your glory. Amen.